Welcome to CPA Advisory Show. I'm Jeremy Wells, and with me as always is my co-host, Chris Hervishon. Chris, how you doing? Best day ever. How about yourself? I am doing fantastic. With us remotely in the studio today, we've got a guest who's taking a break uh, from attending Scaling New Heights to be with us. I want to introduce Randy Crabtree. Randy, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. I've been looking forward to this. Uh, uh, should be a good discussion. And I love the way you guys, best day ever, feeling great, whatever. I love that the way to, to say how it's going. So that's awesome. Thank you. Fantastic. Before we get started, how is it going at Scaling New Heights? I'll tell you what, it's been, this is my first Scaling New Heights. And, and uh, you know, I've heard about it for years. And it is not disappointed at all. You know, part of, for me, these events is the people and the you know meeting people and the collaborations and the getting together and all that and that part's been amazing in fact too bad you guys aren't here tonight we're going to have a podcaster meetup uh at 5 p.m uh, with a bunch of people that we probably all know and and that'll be fun but also some friends of mine have done some presentations so far and and they've uh well one scott scarano uh did a rap last night on the main stage and he crushed it, and that was so fun just to see. I'm, I'm just proud of what he's starting to do with this stuff. And then my good friend Don Brolin did the keynote this morning on the main stage, and I honestly, right now, I get goosebumps just thinking about her presentation. So from that standpoint, you know, it's been awesome. Scott is a friend of the pod. He is, was on a couple months ago, I think, and uh, Don's somebody that we need to get on the show uh, ASAP for sure. Awesome. Randy, uh, well, you, you've already mentioned the fact that you're a podcaster, but tell us, uh, what are you up to? What are you doing these days? Yeah, so so uh, podcasting is a thing I do. I I I, I didn't to go out to be a podcaster. It is uh, our business, which is Trimerit. We do a specialty tax, you know, credits and incentives. We've been helping helping companies for sixteen years save their save their clients money through tax credits and incentives. About four years ago, we uh, brought in a full time marketing person, and one of the first things she wanted to do was was add a podcast and. They, they came to me and said, hey, we want to talk to you about this podcast. I'm like, all right, sure, let's talk. Yeah, we want to do this, uh, and, and you're going to host it. Went, Wait, what? I'm going to host a podcast? What are you talking about? I don't know how to host a podcast. Um, but it's the Unique CPA Podcast. I said yes. When I said yes, I said I am not talking about R&D tax credits or anything like that on these episodes. Nobody wants to hear me record one of these every week that's talking about credits and incentives. And we've done a little talking on that, but not much. Um, but more so, it's it's a, in my mind, how we run a, a better practice, how we be smarter, more efficient, work less, make more, you know, have a better, I'm all about, you know, better mental health in the profession as well. So that's really what it's morphed into. And, and uh, Jeremy, you, you've been on that we hasn't been released yet, but will be released. Uh, I'm guessing not too long. And I just have a lot of fun because I get to meet people like you because I talk on a podcast. So it's pretty cool. I agree that it ju just the ability to uh, meet people, especially because uh, we started the show when COVID was pretty much starting to to wind down in terms of the the restrictions. We started shortly after. I think that was the the first in person engage post uh, COVID uh, last year, the the twenty twenty two one um, that uh, Chris and I went to, and that was right about the time we launched our show, so May June of. Uh, 22 but yeah it has been it's been really interesting got to have 
really fun conversations with people that I didn't really picture myself being able to just hop on an hour long call with and pick their brain and be able to get all kinds of access to the way they're thinking about things for sure. Yeah. It's yeah. definitely been fun. I mean, just an example last night, you know, Ron Baker just comes, walks up, you know, and he's been on the show twice. He's actually, we host a, I host a conference too. It was virtual the last two years. This year is it going to be in person, but you know, just, you know, somebody like that, like, how do I know Ron Baker? I mean, just that is just amazing. And then, you know, other people like Ellen Colton and Jennifer Wilson and Niall Carter Gray. I mean, all these people that you just meet because of a podcast, it's again, for the second time on this show, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. So before we skip too far, go ahead, <laughs> go ahead and plug your, your conference. What is it? Where is it? Where are all the fun things that you talk about? Yeah, so the conference is, I think we have a little identity, identity crisis because it's been known by a few different names right now. Technically, it's the Unique CPA Conference, and the subtitle is Bridging the Gap. Uh, and it's Bridging the Gap Between the Generations. And so I'm looking at it like, you know, I... I'm so lucky that I, I know, like I've said this multiple times already, but so many people in the profession, but I know a lot of people at the top 400 CPA firms. I know a lot of people at these modern startup, uh, you know, firms. And so from, from my standpoint, I see how they all do their, run their practices, what they do, pros and cons, you know, and I want those two groups to somewhat get together and share knowledge. And so bridging the generations, we also, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a, a big proponent of, of, you know, mental health and avoiding burnout. So we're also, you know, bridging the gap between burnout and a healthier you, and then also bridging the gap between, you know, basically it's defining or designing your own success because just because one firm does this doesn't mean you have to, what's your success? And we're going to have people speaking there that, uh, like Alnisha Jones, her success, sorry, Chris, I'm rampant. I'm going on a rant now, but uh, her, her success is a four-day work week. She started her firm because, you know, she was a, a, a working mother and she wanted more flexibility in that. And now every single person that works at her firm is a, mer a working mother. And so those things, that's her success. That's how she's defined it. And so that's what we're going to do. The, it's the end of August in Chicago. It's Rosemont, Illinois, right outside O'Hare Airport. Um, we are going to be 28th uh, arrival day, August 29th and 30th, two days of sessions. And we're going to have a great time all three nights. That's awesome. I love that. Okay. So how long has the conference been going? What year is this going to be? Our Yes, this is interesting because it ha it's the third year. The first two were virtual. Um, this is the first in-person that we're doing. And I'll, I'll preface that. Last year, we did an in-person live podcast that we kind of treated like a little bit of a mini conference. We flew in people for two days to come watch the live podcast. We did two hours of podcasting live on YouTube and then recorded as well from a bar I'm a partner in in Chicago. And, and it went well. It was a great time. I mean, I've heard many people say it was their favorite conference of the year last year. It wasn't a conference, but that's how people looked at it. And then we decide, you know what? I think we have enough. We've seen it. We've done a little test drive, not a full conference, but there was things that we had to put together. It's time to go live in person with the conference. 
boy, was I underestimating the amount of work that goes into a live uh, conference. It is, we have five full people, five full-time people in marketing. And I think they've been working on this full-time for four months and we still have two months to go. And so we're going to continue the conference after this and they're doing an awesome job, but we might look at outsourcing a little bit of it next year, just because we do other marketing in the firm besides the conference and we need to free them up a little, but yeah, third year, first in person. Awesome. Love that. All right. So let's pivot a little bit. We talked before we started recording about your version of advisory, and I'm hoping that you can unpack that for us a little bit. I'm particularly curious because you have this varied perspective throughout the profession and you know so many people throughout the profession. I'm curious how your version of advisory has evolved and taken on this, some of the perspectives of others in the profession, really. Yeah, and I'm, I'm probably like everybody else. When you first start hearing advisory, it's like, what does that mean? I don't even know what advisory means. And, and so over the years, and really it's just the last two years probably, you know, I've been able to dig deeper into this. And, and my version is really whatever your version is because everybody has their own ideas. And so, so advisory is just doing more than being a re and I look at advisory from the tax standpoint, everything I do is tax. So I, I, I if I start talking about casts or anything, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be impressive. Not that I'm impressive anyways, but, but if I start talking tax, this is how I look at it. So from a tax advisory standpoint, it's more than being a reporter, you know, more than being, Hey, you come in and in February, I'll look at everything that happened and we'll report what happened last year. And so for advisory for me is as simple as, and we can go deeper than this, but as simple as, having some pre-taxis and mar uh, appointments. I was going to say parties. We're going to have pre-taxis and parties with our clients. Nice. Uh, appointments where we're just looking at it, looking at what their year looks like. Um, or advisory can be, and, 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 and that's different between a business and an individual. But a lot of times I think advisory in general goes better with the business. I think there's a lot more opportunity for advisory at the business level, but then that flows through to the personal for most, most of our clients. And so doing more, but it can be as simple as, as February, you're sitting with a client and you, and this is where people don't understand the definition of advisory. They don't understand what advisory means. And what they end up doing is they end up giving away this knowledge because they don't realize it, there's a value to it. And so it could be as simple as you're sitting doing a tax return at 1040 and you have somebody that's got a you know, $200,000 W-2 and you see they put $5,000 in their 401k and they're in a high tax bracket. So you tell them and they're over 50 or whatever. So now well, I think the number in 23 is you could put 30,000 away, maybe whatever the number is. You just advise them. I said, you tell them, hey, you know what? You really need to maximize this 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 benefit here. Put $25,000 additional into a deductible 401k. And now what did you do? You just saved them six, $7,000. There's a value to that. But in your mind, well, this is just what I do. So I'm just going to tell them this. But you can really just start writing this plan out and show, hey, I just saved you $7,000. You know, and my fee is not going to be and I'm going to exaggerate, $200 this year. Hopefully nobody's charging $200 for, for a, a 1040. But, you know, my fee is, you know, $750, $1,000. And then you start to build on that. 
you start to look at that and like, oh, you know what? We need to start meeting quarterly or semi-annually or, you know, whatever it is. And let's dig deeper into this. And and so from that standpoint, that's that to me is more advisory. The the simple definition is doing more than being a reporter or and there's nothing wrong with compliance. Compliance is extremely important. We all have to file tax returns. We have to know that. But there's so much more that we can do on top of that. And there's a lot of benefits that we can go into as well. But is that uh, is that answer your question? I can go deeper. I think so. But since you offer, let's go deeper. And what are some of the benefits? <laughs> well, well, the benefits overall. Okay, oh, yeah, we can go with benefits. We can, man, this is, uh, you're getting me excited now. Well, he offered, um, so we're going to take you up so on the, it. So the benefit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the benefits are um, so many things. It is. So I think you guys know I do a lot of talking about mental health in our profession and how we avoid burnout and how burnout doesn't have to be a thing, how we can you know work better and smarter and conferences kind of based on that. But from an advisory standpoint, we can actually one. I said it before. We can start to value because we can show the benefit of what we're giving. We can increase the bill. The bill. One is, I don't know what your guys' thoughts are. I'm assuming you're going to agree with me, but I think the billable hour is one of the worst things for our profession um, from many aspects. One is, I'm going on a tangent. There'll be a lot of tangents today, Chris, Jeremy. Sorry about that. But here's tangent number one. The billable hour, what does what incentive does that put in front of us? Whether it's you know an unconscious bias or not, subconsciously, well, I'm gonna not work as fast on this project because I can bill more if it's a slower project. Now we don't really think that, but we probably it's there whether we know it or not. Two, I'm working in, you know, whatever, whatever I'm working for someone else. And I want to get ahead in this business. And how do I get ahead? Well, obviously, I can bill more if I work more. So I'm going to just start coming in, you know, 7 a.m. I'm leaving at 7 p.m. I'm putting 12 hours a day. I'm going to come in on the weekend because the only way I can show my value to the people I'm working for is by putting in more hours because then I have more billable hours. Then I have more money coming in. And that just then puts us down this path of, of potential burnout. So, so that, that is something that I think we need. And, and, and honestly, for the client, it's not good. The client doesn't want to, you to tell them, okay, I'm going to charge you $300 an hour. I can't tell you how long it's going to take, but I'm going to charge you $300 an hour. And hopefully you're okay when you get the, the bill and, and otherwise we're going to fight. And then I'm going to have to reduce my bill because you're not happy. We need to set the expectations up front, what it is. And we are analytical people. We can come up with pricing that it doesn't have to be based on the hour. So one of the things that we can do with advisory, this is the long answer. This is a really long answer to your question, and I'm getting back to it. One of the things that, that, that we can do is we can start showing more value to what we're doing because now I'm showing them the savings. I'm showing them whatever, and it doesn't even have to be savings. It can be I'm going to keep you out of a penalty situation because if you have done this, you would have been blah, 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 you know, underpaid. You would have been whatever. And so that's another advisory. But now I can show the value. I can meet with my clients on a quarterly basis, monthly basis, depends if their business or personal. I can start billing more per client and I can get rid of the clients that I don't want to deal with anymore. So I can end up working 
less hours, be more efficient, make more money, and show much more value to my client. And one last thing on that before you before we go somewhere else. 79% of taxpayers are willing to pay more for advice. They want the advice. We sometimes don't realize that they want the, this advice. We 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 ignore the fact that they want it because we just are so we're dealing with so many clients that that we just concentrate on let's get this tax return done. 35% of tax professionals offer advisory services. 79% want, 35% offer. Huge gap there, huge opportunity. You start offering advisory, you're going to have all these benefits. You brought up a fantastic example because this discussion is tying together so many different things. It's tying together what the client actually values versus what we're presenting to them as, as what we do, right? Um, you know, so many uh, of the of the tax uh, firm owners that you know I interact with on social media a lot of times, especially during tax season, they're complaining that clients just see us as form fillers. Right. Um, and they don't they don't value and, and therefore they don't like the prices that we're charging for the work we do. And so they don't value us. Uh, but then on the flip side, you know, what you're saying is is on point that we don't even seem to be valuing what we're doing because we're either giving away the real benefit of working with us or on the flip side, we are charging for that work in a way that doesn't align with what we're actually providing them. So I love your example of right to us, the looking at, you know, looking at a, a new tax clients W2 and preparing their 1040. And we say, Hey, look, here's an opportunity to save like you, you know, in your example, five or six grand, just put a little bit more into your, uh, into your 401k, right? To us, that's a no brainer. That's a, that, I mean, that that's not even back of the napkin math. That just all happens in right. our head. And it doesn't really take that long. It takes a few years, right? Of being, you know, a tax preparer that's working on enough 1040s to where you start picking up on these patterns, right? Oh, Hey, you put more into your 1040. You know, there's an annual maximum. If the client hasn't put that much in there yet, they can put more. And therefore, again, you know, just roughly speaking, take marginal tax rate, multiply it by how much that gap is. And, you know, you can save them this much in taxes. And when you think about that, if you're a time-based biller, all that took less than a 10th of an hour. And if I'm billing at what, 250 an hour, 500 an hour, I can't even bill the client 25 or 50 bucks for saving them five, six grand in taxes. That just does not make sense for us on the business side or for the client on the, on the customer side. So yeah, I, I think you're, on point there. And then when you add on to the fact that this just leads us into a downward spiral toward burnout, because the only way to get ahead in that setup is to do more and more work. So what is the solution then? What have, when did this click for you? And when did you start making changes in your own firm to address these problems? Yeah. So, so that, that's a good question because it, it, it was an interesting situation. I had, my generalist CPA firm that I started in 1991, which, yeah, I'm old, you're right. Um, and, um, and then in 2006, I actually, I always say I merged it in and they bought me out. I sold it. I mean, bottom line is I sold that practice. And partly was, partly the, the issue was I just, 
I was burnt out. I didn't know it at the time. I just was sick and tired of these 80 hour a week tax seasons and working seven days a week. And, and the cool thing I did when I had my firm is I never missed any of my kids stuff. In fact, I coached basketball all through, you know, tax season, but I would coach a game. I'd go back to the office. If I was coaching two teams, I'd come back. I'd go back to the office. And so the, the schedule got crazy. So I was terrible at this. I did not think about this at that time at all. The only reason, the only thing I knew is that I couldn't keep doing this. Now, anybody listening? That's not the solution. For me, unfortunately, I didn't know there was other solutions, but that's not the solution. But that that's what I did. I sold it. Took about... Six months off, realized that money coming in was important. Um, so uh, ended up uh, uh, shortly after that starting Trimerit. And, and the interesting thing, I didn't even know that you could be a specialist. I honestly, I mean, I knew one specialist when I had my firm and he was doing LIFO. And I'm like, okay, I don't know. What's that? Why, why is he doing this and that? But that's all he did. And I'm like, I think back to that. I go, why didn't I realize that you had the ability to be a specialist, that you could you look at one? And for us, it's a portion of the tax code. For someone else, and this is something I'd love to talk about too, it is you, you, you're an industry expert. You love restaurants. You work with restaurants. But for me, I just fell into R&D tax credits. It just kind of came at me. And when I saw this and I thought, wow. I can't believe that there's this opportunity to just service this small part of the tax code and help people. And so for me, it really took that going through burnout and getting rid of my firm, really realizing that I love taxes and I do. Uh, I just didn't love tax season and then figuring out that we can do this a different way. And so we started Trimerit and, and I think that we've been able to, well, we can talk about culture, but our culture is through the roof. And, and, and partly it's just because what I think I went through before, there was no way I was going to put anybody else through that because it was not a fun time. And so we started Trimerit. We support, we can show the value of everything we do. It's, it's for us, it's all tax savings. I can show the value to what we're doing. And so that's really when it kicked into me, when I realized that you could be a specialist where you could value your services. And, and when you do that, people understand that, that that expertise that you have is worth something. So before we get into the whole culture conversation, because it's important, and I think we should definitely have that, but billing for your value, when we have so many folks in the profession who just aren't, and so the customer can go and get that advice for free in a million other places, right? Because we haven't brought the profession along with us in, yep. in billing for what we're worth and billing for that advisory. What, what would you say to the profession as a whole, but then how also do you handle that internally in your firm to make sure that that doesn't become a pain point for the customer and that they don't go elsewhere because they can't? Yep. So, so I think it's, it's a lot easier. And so I'm a, a huge, huge fan of, I say niche. I know a lot of people say niche. Um, I'm going to stick with niche. You know, I have an uncle Chuck. I don't have an uncle uh, Chuck. So I'm going with the, the uh, niche portion of it. And so when you niche, when you can show that you're an expert in a certain area and if you can show you're passionate about what you're doing, 
people aren't worried about that. They know you've got their back. You know that, that they are there for you. You know that they're going to help you. you. They know that what you're doing is going to be accurate, that you understand the tax laws. You understand that. And when you're a niche, the competition's just less because nobody else has that experience and expertise that you do. For us, especially tax, that's a pretty unique niche. There's not a lot of us. I mean, there's, there's a lot of companies out there doing it, but probably at, now I'm going to sound like I'm bragging, but our, at our level, we're fairly, we fairly built a fairly nice size firm. Um, there's not a lot of, of competition, but even if that, if you're doing it right, if you're passionate, if you're, I mean, I give away my knowledge all the time. I think if you give away the knowledge and you share what you know, people are going to, to flock to it. So for us, it's that. For anybody else, you have a, you have a tax practice, whatever, an accounting firm right now. It doesn't have to be tax. This could be either or or both. And, and you are not a niche. You probably are. You probably don't even know it yet, but you probably are niche at some level because you have this client you love working with. So now all of a sudden you're thinking, whether it's subconscious or not, well, my next client, I should look for a client like Bob and Sally because I really like working on them. And that could be an industry. It's a restaurant industry. It's the trucking industry. It's franchises. It's, it's, or it even could be a personality trait. I like, you know, um, husband and wife own businesses. I just like dealing with the family dynamic. It could be, I like startup businesses. Those are all niches. And then when you, when you can show that you have expertise, that's going to help a startup or you have expertise, that's going to help restaurants. There's so much with restaurants that are is unique and if you can show one, not only are you the expert, but you're passionate about that, I don't ever see the pricing being an issue. And and that's what you said, Chris, there. That's one of the biggest things that people think, I just can't charge for these services because they're going to go somewhere else because I'm going to lose my client. And honestly, that's if you're if you've built the relationship with them and you can share your knowledge and expertise, they don't leave. It's just not going to happen. Sometimes you're going to want some of them to believe and they're not going to leave. And then you just keep up in the price and maybe eventually they will. But it, it's just I think that's one of the barriers for people to get into advisory. They don't think that they can charge for it. Another barrier is confidence. There's a lack of confidence that I can do this because I don't know every part of the tax code. How am I going to be an advisor? I mean, they're going to ask me a question I'm not going to have an answer for. Well, you know what? You don't have to have the answer for everything. You can say, you know what? I'm going to have to do a little research on that and I'll get back to you. But that's a great question. I'm, I, I'm, you know, I'm passionate about your industry. And, and if this can help me with my other clients too, we want to dig into that. And so people realize that we're humans too. And so you cannot, you don't have to have every answer immediately. I probably went on five tangents on your question there, Chris, but uh, uh, I'll, let, I'll, I'll throw it back to you. Hey, it's Chris. Thanks for tuning into the show and we really hope you're enjoying it. If you like the show, please like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. If you really like the show, please leave us a review and we'll read it on the air. If you have a service or an app that is tailored to accountants and you want to get in front of several hundred accounts that listen to this show every single week, send us an email at host at cpaadvisoryshow.com. Okay, let's get back to the show. Along with that, not only do you start developing 
the expertise within that particular niche, but now you're dealing <gasps> niche. <laughs> niche. <laughs> but now Definitely you're niche. dealing you're starting to find those issues that aren't within your wheelhouse whether that is your own expertise or within just what you're licensed and credentialed to do right so you start yep. realizing wait that's more of a legal question than an accounting question i need to refer you to an attorney or you need to go find one in your area that's more of an insurance question than an accounting question we need to find you a good insurance broker right and so the where where I start to feel the role developing with some of my customers is is more of like uh, a coordinator, right? And, yeah. and I think there is huge missed value there, right? Uh, you know, a lot of accounts they get frustrated with financial planners because financial planners are off telling their clients something that is either either doesn't have basis in the tax code or they set them up with some structure middle of the year and then we don't hear about it until six months later when we're doing the return and now we've got to make it work on the return even though we know it can't, right? You know, and so we're the bad guys. So but there are all these opportunities to not only like you said, I'll go do some research on that and I'll report back to you. But also, wait a minute, this is outside my domain. Let's find somebody else yep. we can rope into the conversation, right? That can that can help us with that. So I think there are additional ways that you can develop that uh, expertise and develop that niche uh, that that don't just add more work onto your plate, right? And, and I think that's when you really start to level up in terms of offering yep. advisory. You're not just always answering questions, right? You know, I, I, I was listening to another podcast on this earlier today and it was, uh, they were talking about how when you first get into advisory or consulting or coaching or any of these related fields, you think your job is to always have the answers when actually you look at the seasoned ones and you realize that it's the job to ask the right questions. Right. And that's when you've really made it, when you know what questions to ask and you don't feel the pressure to always be giving the the answers, right? That coming up with the answers. It'd be like going to the doctor and they're hooking you up to anesthetic before they've even asked you a question or, or run any tests on you, right? And that's where we as accountants yeah. go, right? Oh, I, I need to start setting up the bookkeeping. I need to start preparing the return. I need to start filling out forms when really we haven't even started asking any questions yet. We haven't diagnosed what the real problem is. And I thought that was a really great example. Yep. Let me just expand on that, expand on that for a second, because I think what you said is important. The the I just did a webinar a couple of weeks ago on automation and delegation. Automation is huge with advisory, too, because there's so much of the menial tasks that you can automate that's going to free you up for that high value advisory type work. And and what happens is people people fear the short-term pain, because, okay, I got to set up new technologies. Okay, yeah, I don't have time for that. And they fear that more than they appreciate the long-term gain. And, and it's just, I think, the way our brains work, because we just don't, oh, this is going to be painful. I'm going to spend 20 hours this week, you know, setting up this new, whatever, billing system, this new, you know, file management system, whatever. And you get so scared of that and don't realize this 20 hours is going to save me $200 this next year. And so so for me, advisory, and that's not really even pain. Honestly, our brain thinks it is, but it isn't. Um, and you can have someone else do that too. Someone else can set things up. And, and that's the next part of this. You can delegate everything. I mean, there's everything you're doing can be delegated, whether it's in-house or like Jeremy, you were saying, outsource. We, 
I mean, not, I'm not saying anybody use us, whatever, but we are an outsource to help with advisory for taxpayers, tax preparers, because we have expertise that they don't. You can, you can outsource, you know, if you need an assistant, you can just outsource that to to some firm that you know outsources virtual assistance, um, and 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 it's worth every penny. And you can out. What I say is, look at the things that you like doing. You know, you like sitting and 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 figuring out. Uh, you know, I don't know who likes this, but um, uh, 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 salt issues. You know, figuring out what taxes I have to pay in what states. You just love that reason. And I know some people that do. Uh, and in fact, uh, uh, Jordan Goodman is that guy is passionate about that and loves talking about it and researching it. But if you're passionate about that, and then you look at, well, I just hate doing whatever it is, data entry. I hate doing, you know, something else. You know what? Concentrate on those passionate things because that's going to make you a stronger advisor too. Because now that's the part you love doing, and it's going to energize you. Someone else probably loves data entry. Let them do data entry. Someone else loves something that you, if if everybody you work with is a clone of you, you got a problem because there's so many, you're not going to go anywhere. It's just not going to, if everybody was a clone of me in our business, we wouldn't have been uh, on the uh, Inc. 5000 fastest growing uh, privately held companies in the U.S. this last year because nobody would get the work done. It just wouldn't happen. So, so the f- work with people, outsource or internally, that have skills different than you, thoughts different than you. They don't have to be, you know, everybody you work with doesn't have to be the person you want to go out to the bar and have a drink with. Um, you just have to appreciate the skills they have and the passions they have and get everybody, you know, on board and doing the things they love. So another tangent probably. Well, yeah, let's talk about that a little bit more because you mentioned uh, that uh, now, uh, you know, maybe as opposed to the, the first firm you had that you sold, um, but now with Trimerit, you said that you're working as uh, that, that you're being referred by a lot of uh, tax practitioners. So w- what is the business model of Trimerit? Because this is this is an example of, of, of you know, compared to a, most accounting firms, right, a hyper specialized uh, firm. So what is what is similar, but more importantly, what is different about running this firm as opposed to just saying, we're a CPA firm that you know we'll do the accounting, we'll do the audit, we'll do the tax prep, uh, you know we'll do the bookkeeping, all these different kinds of things. What's different in terms of the business model? You mentioned marketing. You've got a marketing staff. What's different in terms of marketing when it comes to you're working probably more with people who are already tax professionals because they're looking for help with what you do rather than you're just marketing to you know tax payers. Uh, and, and then right. especially, especially when it comes to staffing, because, you know, we know it's hard for a lot of firms to find staff for junior tax preparers, junior bookkeepers, this sort of thing, but you're looking for even more specific expertise probably in the people that you're hiring. So what are the issues there? So from a, compare and contrast with a, with a CPA firm and us, I mean, we, it, honestly, we are, I wish I had a great definition for it. That's because I love that question. So I should, but we are, all we do is we do a really small portion of the tax return, and then we get that to the tax preparer. So all of our business comes from the tax professional. That's where it comes from. And we're an extension of them. We're, we're part of their team from a standpoint that they're going to introduce us to the client. We're going to analyze 
a cost segregation opportunity, and we're going to determine the ROI on what the benefit's going to be with our fee. We're going to give that to the tax professional and to the client. They're going to analyze it and see if it makes sense to move forward. So, so our staffing from that standpoint is we don't, for the first, I don't know, 10 years of business, I was the only CPA in our firm. So we don't hire CPAs. We have probably have six right now. As we've grown, it's just, you know, they've, we've, we've hired more CPAs just because they've had experience working at, as cost seg or as energy incentive uh, ex- experts. In fact, we're very fortunate. One guy, John Carpeller, works with us. I feel is the top investment tax credit expert in the country. And tangent, tangent alert, we're going on a tangent. Um, the Inflation Reduction Act that defined a bunch of investment tax credit opportunities and production tax credit opportunities. And he is passionate about that. And he started with us four years ago when that bill came out, he was all over it. And, and he is a CPA though, but he's also a lawyer. Um, so, so we don't, we don't look to hire CPAs. We get CPAs just because of their experience, but most of the things that we deal with has most of them have some kind of engineering expertise behind them. You know, R&D tax credits, those production tax, investment tax credits I just mentioned, uh, cost segregation, um, energy incentives for real estate. And so from us, from our standpoint, the hiring process is not, I shouldn't say this, but not as hard as it is in, in, in accounting. Um, we, don't, we don't have trouble finding people, but we are not... I mean, we're not sitting doing tax returns. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but we just don't do, we don't touch a tax return. We touch a very, we touch one form on the tax return, um, but that's all we do. And and I don't know if that that helps with our hiring process, but we also don't lose people either, which is unheard of. I think in the last, I'm going to say the last seven years, I think we've had one person voluntarily leave and we're at 65 people right now. Um, and yeah, oh, I'm, I'm, believe me, I'm reading a, a new presentation just on corporate culture and the importance of it and how you can cultivate a, a culture that'll, that'll, you know, attract people and retain people. And so that's, I know I'm getting ahead of myself because Chris mentioned we talk about culture later, but that's, from our standpoint, I don't think you can look at us like a CPA firm. We're completely different. We have, you know, we have 25 people between marketing and business development. That's, that's not, uh, you know, there's no CPA firms that have that high a percentage of their people, you know, working in those uh, parts of the business. Okay. So let's get into the culture piece of this. So what is good corporate culture in our, in our business, meaning the, the accounting business. And then if that's not you, if you're running a firm and that's not you, what is step one? in order for that to be you, to get to the point where from wherever you are now to a good corporate culture. Yeah, well, I mean, I think one of the first steps is is the hourly billing. We already talked about that. So, you know, you can, you can rewind uh, 20 minutes and, and listen to what we said about that. But that, I think, just sets a terrible aspect of culture. So, so that's number one. Number two is, for us, we value the, the person first. That's the most important thing. It's not the client. It's not how much we bill. It's not anything else. We want to make sure that everybody that works with us enjoys what they're doing, you know, is, is free to be themselves 
at the office, have flexibility of when they get work done. They know they need to get their work done. If somebody wants to, you know, uh, live in wherever, uh, you know, uh, in Italy and still work with us, that's fine. You know, do your job from wherever. If they just want to take two months on the road, and I do this every year. At two months, I just travel around uh, the Southwest and I, I work remotely. If that's what people want to do, that's what the way I do it. We celebrate people's successes as much of what they do outside of work as what they do inside of work. We are, and it's me being on a podcast or, or hosting my own podcast and not mentioning John Garrett never happens. So John Garrett, you know, wrote the book, what's your and, which celebrates people's and, which is their passions outside of work. That's one of the most important things to us to find out who the person is and, and then celebrate that. What we do, and I'm just telling you how, can I define what a good culture is? I can tell you what we do, which I think is a good culture. I have a really hard time knowing that we have a good culture and being able to, you know, really put it into a strong definition. So I'm just going to give you examples. We have calls. We're virtual for the most part around the country. We have offices, but most people are working wherever. Mm-hmm. On those calls, at the end of the calls, Oh, somebody always gets to share their and, you know, showing pictures of whatever it is they like doing, whether their and is like, here, I'm a, I'm a, I don't even know what I am. I'm a tax credit expert. Is that what I am? I have no idea. Um, I'm a CPA, but that's not who I am. I'm a, I, I'm a hiker. I'm a craft beer enthusiast. I am a sports fan. I am all about family and traveling together. And that's who I am. You know, that makes me who I am. Being a CPA doesn't define me at all. And so what we get to do is we get to find out, um, well, it defines me a little bit, but not, not the major definition. What we get to do is we get to find out what who people are. And so our head of marketing did his sharing of his end. I had no idea this guy was this amazing artist. He has art in like museums and stuff and galleries. We have another person who's in business development who's a fiddle player, and she plays in bands around Denver. Uh, someone else who professionally raced motorcycles before he started working with us. Um, and, and so when you know that, you build these relationships that are not based on doing tax credit studies. It's based on you know, the mutual love of mountain biking, or, or of listening to your pod, the CPA advisory show. Obviously, that's everybody's and in our team. Whatever it is, it, it, that helps create this culture that I'm trying to define. I can explain. I can tell you a couple things that it's not. Um, I can tell you why I started thinking this way. My f- second job in public accounting. Public accounting is my third career. The first two careers lasted like a year each. So, so um, my my second job, I was working for a small firm in Chicago, and we were doing an audit. And no offense to anybody that does audits, I hate auditing. Um, but we were out doing an audit for an auto dealership, which was five blocks from our office in Chicago. Six o'clock at night. We'd been there all day. We're going to go back to the office and work. The managing partner was with me. 
he hails a cab is going to take a cab back to the office. I'm going to walk six blocks because I just need time to, you know, refresh my, my brain and, and, and a little downtime. He looks at me and I'm not going to swear right now, but this is, he said, get in the effing cab. And I just was in shock. I'm like, I didn't know how to respond. I shouldn't even tell this story, but, but what happened is the next day, I went in the office, I organized my desk, I wrote notes on everything and what I was on, what I was doing, what the projects were, where I was, what needed to be finished. I walked out at lunch and didn't go back because there was no way I was going to put up with a culture like that. It just wasn't going to happen. From that day on, I, I started making lists of things that as an employee I didn't like and things I did like, and I made sure... Now, I'm not perfect, but I made sure we could do everything we could to not have that culture. That's amazing. Um, that's, yeah. that's, really, that's a really good story <laughs> because that's the way that our profession's been for so long. Uh, it feels to me like we're starting to turn a corner as a profession, but we got a long, long way to go. But if I had to kind of distill that down. So yep. firm culture, corporate culture looks different for everybody to some extent, yep. right? But- I think we can all agree it's got to start with the people. Focus on the people. And what you do is not exactly who you are, but you need to figure out, you know, who everybody is. Is that is that about right? I think that that's perfect. Okay. Um, I'll just tell you, expand on that, because I told you we're remote. People get so nervous. How can you be a virtual office and have a good corporate culture? I'll tell you, we've done it. I can't explain exactly, but we, but we celebrate. I'll give you one example. We have somebody that's, he's awesome. He does a great job. He's been in this profession for 10 years. He's been with us for two years. Um, he decided he wa he was going to leave and go to medical school. And we were like, yes, that's amazing that, that you're doing that. That's what you love to do. That's what you want to do. Now, I didn't count him as the people who's left yet because he told us this in March and said he'd like to work for the, through the summer. And he knew he had a comfort level. He knew we wouldn't say, no, you got to leave now. You can't be. But no, we value him. He's part of it. He's a great guy. We love him. Um, and, and so that celebrating the fact that he's doing this next stage of his life. I mean, I just I get a huge smile because this is amazing what he's doing. Now, I'm going to have to add that, I guess, to the number of people that voluntarily leave. But he didn't leave because he didn't like what we were doing. He decided he wanted to do something else. I love that, but that, that dovetails into what my next question was going to be, which is something that you said a couple of minutes ago, which was you need to make sure that the folks who work for you enjoy what they what they do. So let's just let's let's just say that somebody's not leaving the profession and they're in the profession, but they don't like their day to day. They come to you, they say, "Hey, Randy, um, you know, I like working here, but the work that I'm doing, I don't like it, or I'm not having as much fun as I want." Um, what do you say to them, and then how do you kind of coach them through that or, or what what do you do how do you how do you keep that as part of your course strategy so the first part of that answer is i don't like doing that <laughs> i don't manage people people say you are a leader you do all this i said i don't so i don't actually even get involved in that i i changed my whole role about seven years ago in this business i was managing partner 
I was running it. I hate KPIs. I hate processes. I hate procedures. I'm terrible at them. I don't even want to think those things. I, I just got hive saying those words right now. Um, and so people look at this and say, well, Randy, yeah, you started the business. You could, you could define whatever you wanted to do. But I look at that and think, okay, if this is what I didn't want to do, there's got to be things other people don't want to do. So we've had people that were in in our you know in our R&D practice that decided and we keep them separate for the most part and just decide hey you know what I really like this 179D I really want to get involved in that. and this is happening right now as we speak we have somebody that was in our 179D that is just passionate about this investment tax credit that I was mentioning earlier and asked to go be part of that team and he's going to be part of that team so I think if you're open if you're if you're if you allow people to speak their mind, if they you're, they they feel comfortable that they can come to you with anything, um, and know that they'll be heard, I think that's it. And then and then do everything you can to. I'm a huge. I feel that I've found this intersection between my passions, my skills, um, and 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 it's like this magical place. And so if, if somebody else feels like their skills and their passions are not aligning, I personally would do anything I can to help them do that. I'm very fortunate that I was going to be able to, that I found that. And so I think we just are open to that. And I'll tell you one more thing. Well, I'm sure it'll be more than one thing because you've already heard I ramble. <laughs> the, the, as a leader, and again, I don't look at myself this way and people say, now I feel like I'm humble bragging when I say this, because I'm try, not trying to do, but people say, yeah, you're a leader, whatever. I think one of the biggest things you can do as, as a leader is be vulnerable. Show them that, you know, there's things that, 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 are, that bother you. There's things that you have stressed over in the past. There's things that, you know, have, you've gone through, I mean, we don't have much time, but in a, a few seconds, I went seven years ago, nine years ago, I had a stroke. And after that, I went through depression and panic attacks and PTSD. And this went on for five years. And I'll talk to anybody about this. I'll show that I, 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 I'm, I went through issues and I don't want anybody else to. So I'll share that story with anybody. And if you can share a story and be vulnerable, I think that allows other people to say whatever it is they want to say because they know that that you'll listen to them and that's something i think that helps people not be afraid to say i would like to do something else i'd like to change this role i'd like to i'd like to i'd like to become a doctor he wasn't afraid to tell us that and that's great and so i think the vulnerability is a huge part of that I'm thinking practically, right? And you know, we're we're bumping up on time, and but I I want to get just a little bit of uh, thinking practically about this because yes, you're fully remote in your firm, and it's one thing to talk about culture and say you know we're fostering this culture where people feel open to come to us, but the the flip side of that argument, and I was just in a conversation on Twitter the other day about this is that when you don't have that in-office setting, it can be a lot more intimidating or a lot more difficult, especially for junior staff, to ask the questions, right? You don't have those just popping in and just stopping by and, hey, I've just got this one thing, if you could come take a look. Now it's got to be more of a formal process. You know, I've got to send you a message. I've got to send you an email, you know, this kind of thing. 
how are you making it? And, and, and again, looking, you know, this is a different kind of firm, right? So I'm, I'm sure it's going to be easy for a lot of generalist CPA firm owners to say, well, this doesn't really apply to me. But how are you making sure that the, the, the junior staff, the younger staff, the newer staff are also feeling like they have that openness, that, that ability to be vulnerable, those kinds of things? Yep. That's a, that's a great question. So there's, there's a few different answers. One, we just, we, 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 uh, I'm going to go with this one first. First thing. So it's, this is set up. So teams is huge. You call anybody, anytime you're face to face. It's the same thing as being in the office in my point, but we have the payroll system we use is rippling. Um, and, and, and we have a th- thing set up in rippling that as soon as somebody gets hired, I get a notification in Teams that that someone new has started, and the, as soon as I can, and I'm on the road lot, but as soon as I can, and I probably freak them out at times. I just call them on Teams, and they're probably thinking, first they're probably thinking, who's Randy, and and then if they even know who I am, they're probably thinking, why is he calling me? But I just get on there, and we just talk about them. Hey, tell their ands. That's all I do, and I I talk about it, you know we talk about their families. We talk about their vacations. We just talk about anything. We don't, I don't ask them anything about work or what they did in work before. I just want to get to know them personally. And so, and then at the end of the call, I said, just so you know, I mean, I'm here anytime you reach out, I'll answer any questions. I'm here to help you. I want you to enjoy what you're doing. I don't want you to feel uncomfortable with anything. So reach out to me anytime about anything. I think that just simple setting the stage at the beginning is huge. And and then what we do as a team, we get to get in it. You know what? We get together twice a year. We fly everybody into one location. Uh, usually may at Chicago, just cause we have a big concentration of people. Well, not big, maybe 25% of our people in Chicago, but, um, and then in the fall, it's usually somewhere warm, you know, Arizona, or I think we, we've gone to Orlando and we get everybody together and, and it is, it is, uh, it is just us going, having fun. There's some education stuff. We share the state of the union of the company and that kind of stuff. We ask for everybody's input, put on everything. And so I, I think that just creates this, uh, environment that people feel open, those couple of things. And I'm going to leave you with one story on that. And again, I can't define the culture that well. I'm trying to figure it out. But I think this one story is one of, the th- one of my favorite things I've ever heard about our firm. We were in San Diego last November for our company retreat. Uh, I think we call it the Trimerit Summit. So it was the summit. Uh, we make T-shirts for the summit for everybody as well. We have a photographer out there. He's taking pictures the whole time, taking pictures of us doing things, taking headshots. He said to someone that, that in our company, you know, I do this all the time. This is the first time I have no idea who the partners in this firm are. And I'm like, that's cool. We're all on the same. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not us and them. It's not different teams. It's not clicks. It's just us as a group. And I, I just goosebumps for the third time on this call, just when I think about that. So that's pretty cool. 
that yeah that's that's very cool randy uh this has been incredible conversation uh about culture about putting together a remote team about uh dealing with issues of burnout and staffing I really wanted to get into uh, some technical tax credit uh, talk with you. I guess we're going to have to bring you back for another episode. Uh, This is not a tax update show, but uh, there's a lot of issues with R&D credits, especially ERC coming through that uh, I definitely want to talk to uh, a specialist on the show about. But like I said, we're going to have to save that for another episode. But Randy, thank you so much for being on the show with us. Really appreciate it. Guys, thank you. I had a great time. Hey, it's Jeremy. Thanks for listening to the CPA Advisory Show. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others. Leave a rating and write us a review. We'll probably read your review on the air too. To catch all the latest from us, follow us on Twitter at CPA Advisory Show. If you have a topic or guest you'd like to hear on the show, let us know by emailing host at CPA Advisory Show.com. Thanks again. 